put forward is that um, copyright infringement is the same as plagiarism. Again, you, yeah. you don't. Yeah. Uh, well, they aren't the same, that. and and I mean, what's puzzling is why their curricula simplify and in a sense stupefy uh, these useful distinctions. Plagiarism means using somebody's work without acknowledging that it belongs to somebody else. You can plagiarize from Shakespeare and there's no copyright infringement because copyright doesn't exist in Shakespeare's work. Similarly, you can infringe a copyright without plagiarizing. Copyright infringement is against the law. It's about legal rules. Plagiarism is typically an ethical violation in certain communities, but actually not in all communities. There are some, and in the book I talk, for example, about the community of law, where lawyers and judges regularly take from each other's work without attribution because the law is considered to be public discourse. Nobody owns it, and therefore the, the rules of borrowing are different in legal discourse than they are, for example, in the academy. So plagiarism is, in some communities, an ethical violation. Copyright infringement is a matter of law. Now, I think the way this would usually be thought of, let's, let's take Shakespeare as an example. You quote some lines from Shakespeare to make a point or yeah. you, to incorporate into your own artistic work, and, and the reference to Shakespeare is clear. You know, it's not as if you're really ripping him off, but you're, you're using him for your own artistic efforts, uh, and that is quite different than lifting passages of a book that maybe no one knows about and then trying to pass it off as your own. Right. That would be plagiarism. You know, all creativity builds on the world around it and what has come before. Everybody understands this in all realms, in science and literature, in painting. You know, one knows what has happened in the past and it's, and it's in your mind. Famously, Sir Isaac Newton said that he had stood on the shoulders of giants. Perhaps he had seen further, but he couldn't have seen as far as he did if there hadn't been scientists who came before him. So this business of borrowing is part of the creative process, no matter what world you're in. And you devote a whole chapter in your book to Benjamin Franklin, which is interesting because the common thinking is that Franklin was the quintessential self-made man, this guy he went off and sort of dreamed up all these amazing inventions on his own, but you're saying the real story is, is more complicated. Well, Franklin is a wonderful character, and he is, of course, <laughs> was a genius, and few people are like him. But when you look closely at the way Franklin worked, you see that partly his genius was what I think of as the genius of a host, in the sense that he worked collaboratively with many other people, and also he read incredibly widely. So that, for example, Franklin is credited with some important discoveries in the theory of how electricity works. If you understand how Franklin came to them, you see that what he was doing was reading books that came out of England and France and Germany, corresponding with people on the continent, working with three friends in Philadelphia. He was working in a community, and he understood that he was working in a community and that he ob had obligations to that community too. So Franklin never took a patent on any of his inventions and said he intentionally did not do so because he felt indebted to the past and he never took a copyright on any of his writings. The main point being that he felt that if you want to have a creative community, such as he had in the scientific world, you need low barriers to the circulation of knowledge. Well, not only did he not claim legal ownership of some of his inventions, he didn't even publicize this, I mean, which is striking because he was a publisher himself. I mean, he, he did not, I mean, for instance, in Poor Richard's Almanac, he published instructions on how to make a lightning rod, but he didn't mention that he was the inventor. 
Yeah, you know, one interesting thing is at this period, we have a shift out of what's called guild secrecy into public knowledge. And so for centuries, guilds, you know, people who know, for example, how to make swords out of steel would keep secret their knowledge. And what happens in the 18th century is people begin to think, no, it's much better to have knowledge released to the world. And Franklin is right on the cusp of this. And in fact, part of the structure of our patent law, even now, is you get to have your monopoly privilege for a short time in exchange for explaining to the whole world how you did it clearly enough that anybody else could do it as soon as it's released to the public domain. And so Franklin actually follows this without even taking a patent. That is to say, when he invents the lightning rod, he immediately publishes a full description of how to do it in poor Richard's almanac, doesn't sign his name. I mean, people would have assumed that it was Franklin, but the point for him was to disseminate knowledge, not to own it. But you can't really imagine that happening today, can you? <laughs> <laughs> Let me push you on this a little bit because it's...